Hey, hey, welcome into the Big Ten Huddle. I'm your host, JR, and we are here to talk about all the things going on in the Big Ten. If you're a Michigan fan, you're happy to be here. If you're an Iowa fan, you're happy to be here. If you're an Ohio State fan, um, I don't envy you. So, (laughs) (laughs) But we've got a great show. We have Zach and Connor here with us to break down all the things that went on in Week 13. We're also going to talk about the Michigan State hiring of Jonathan Smith, and we're also going to talk about... Indiana firing Tom Allen, talk through that situation a little bit, and then also talk through who do we like as candidates for the Indiana job? Who are some guys that we maybe should be on the lookout for? And are there any sleepers out there that maybe it's like nobody else is really thinking of this name? We'll throw out some names, get our kind of thoughts on that. But before we do that, I want to let these guys introduce themselves and tell you where you can find them at. Zach, let's go to you first. Yeah, so I am Zach Guggenheim. I run the Big Ten Football Talk podcast, uh, which you can find on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you you get your podcasts. Uh, basically, just talk anything and everything Big Ten football. Um, and so this is the third year doing it. We uh, drop podcasts Monday and Thursdays. Uh, we'll have a pod tomorrow morning, uh, kind of detailing similar content. And then Thursday, we'll talk about Big Ten title game. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram as well. Very good. Thank you, Zach. Appreciate that. Connor, you want to go and let the people know? Yes. um, I'm Connor from Inside the Nest. You can find us at that on Twitter. It's uh, Inside the Nest Zero. Um, We're on Instagram as well, Inside the Nest Pod. Um, Currently, we're only on uh, Spotify and uh, YouTube as far as uh, putting out podcasts. But yeah, we're here to cover all the things that uh, go on inside Iowa. So Awesome. Yeah. And Iowa, a great season. It's been a little uh, strange to say the least, you know, a lot of injuries, Brian Ferentz. I don't know if I've ever seen an offensive coordinator get fired and then win the division after that. So uh, it's been quite the crazy year for Iowa. We'll have a lot to talk about when we get to breaking down their game. But before we break down games, I want to first go into Michigan State and what's going on with Jonathan Smith. So uh, I don't know what their game plan was here. I don't know if something released early, but just like like in the middle of the Ohio State game, I was locked in on that game. So in the middle of the Ohio State game, I start seeing stuff on Twitter about like, oh, Jonathan Smith is being hired. Of course, Jonathan Smith being the head coach of Oregon State, who played the night before in their Civil War game against uh, Oregon, he is now the head coach of Michigan State. There's rumors out there that not only are they paying Jonathan Smith well, but they are also going to increase the salary cap of what they are allowing for his assistance, kind of allowing him to do more of that. Uh, guys, I want to get your thoughts on just like the hiring in general of Jonathan Smith. Do we like it? Do we dislike it? Do we think this will be a home run? Is it going to be a dud? What are our thoughts here, Zach? Let's go to you first. Yeah, and at first I th- I think I saw too he's bringing either his offensive coordinator or his offensive line coach one at one of his assistants he's is yep. coming along with him. I I think it's a smart hire. I I think if you want a coach that's going to embody toughness, strong defense, good running game and a guy who can really build a program and rebuild a program like I think Jonathan Smith is the right guy. If you remember when he took over Oregon State, I mean they were no better than a mid-tier group of five team. Like in in terms of caliber. I mean they were they were Ohio State's warm-up game in 2018. Mm-hmm. And he slowly built that program back to a, a top 25 team two years in a row. 
Um, obviously they, they got blown out against Oregon, but you know, the, the PAC 12 got better alongside that. So, I mean, the PAC 12 was a bad conference a few years ago and it's maybe the best conference this year in football. And he's really hung in there. He's had some good wins. So like, I think the thing that I like about the hire is he's kind of the anti Mel Tucker in the sense that Mel Tucker was kind of a hot name. He had one season at Colorado that wasn't even really good and they hire him and he has the, the lightning in the bottle with Kenneth Walker, where with Jonathan Smith, you have a six year uh, body of work where he consistently got better and made that not just, he didn't just have a good year. He actually built the program up. And I think that's what you want. If you're Michigan state, especially with the, the PAC 12 powers coming in, um, you still have to compete with Ohio state, Michigan, Penn state, and they are hiring a guy that signals they know who they are. Power run, you know, blue collar mentality. So I like everything about it except recruiting. Can he recruit the Midwest? His whole career has been the big sky or the Pac-12. And so can he either get those guys to come to Michigan State or can he start building relationships in the Midwest? And I, I think that's my one question is can he recruit well enough um and can he start building relationships in the right places yeah i think you make a lot of good points there he uh just for reference he got his career started at oregon state as a ga he then moved on to idaho as a qb coach for five years until 2009 in 2010 he went to montana as the oc and qb coach from there he went to boise state for two years as the qb coach so he was in the mountain west for a little bit but not very long uh and then washington as the offensive coordinator and qb coach from 2014 to 2017 and then 2018, the year that Zach referenced earlier when Ohio State played them, uh, was his first year until now at Oregon State. Connor, what are some of your thoughts? Yeah, man, I, I think that there's a lot of uh, Michigan State fans that were a little bit bummed out that they didn't get Urban Meyer or maybe somewhat of a bigger name. But Oregon State is a team that I was super high on all year. Like As far as rankings, I had them inside the top 20 pretty consistently. I mean, they, they had a pretty top tier offensive line i don't know if they actually finished the year rated that way but going into the year i know that they had a lot of hype and like zach was saying i mean he built that that program essentially from the ground i think that if you're michigan state that's that's a the first thing you want to see is a guy who's established so i i love the hire um as far as recruiting i kind of agree but you're already starting to see a little bit of the rippling effects uh, a couple of guys have already decommitted from oregon state not to say that they're going to michigan state but i mean it just shows the impact that he has, and I think just on recruiting as a whole. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some bigger names up in Michigan State. Yeah, I definitely uh, see what you guys are saying about the recruiting, uh, and I and I agree with it a lot. Uh, but there's one thing that I think actually works in his favor with the recruiting is I feel like that. Uh, Michigan State is one of the, uh, I don't want to say lower level because they're not lower level. They've been in the playoffs. I mean, it's a really good program. Uh, they just, they, they got unlucky with, with Mel Tucker and, and Mark D'Antonio after he left. So, so that was, uh, that was hard. But, but, you know, this is going to be one of the first really Midwest schools that's going to have a connection 
out to the west and the Pacific area, right? I mean, Ohio State has a connection out there. Michigan does somewhat. I mean, they got Drake Nugent out from Stanford as a transfer portal guy. I don't think they have a ton of recruits from California in that area, but still some. Um, and, and so this is going to be one of the very first guys from the original Big Ten who is going to have those connections out there and going to be able to go out there and recruit, sell guys on, hey, we're going to be playing out here. Maybe we're not close to home all the time. You know, your family will still see you. You'll get to see them out here, that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I, I, I do think his base needs to be in the Michigan, Ohio, you know, Pennsylvania and Indiana has gotten better talent too recently. So he can definitely recruit from there. Uh, but, you know, that that Pacific uh, connection out there, I do think is going to pay off in dividends and, and help him out out there. So uh, just to run through his record at Oregon State really fast. So 2018, he was 2-10. 2019, he was 5-7, and seven, so improved by three games. Uh, the 2020 year, he was 2-5. and five. I, I know some people just throw that out. You know, it, it is what it is. Kind of do whatever you want with that. 2021, he was 7-6. and six. 2022, he was 10-3. And, and then this year, uh, right now, he's 8-4. and four. So uh, he didn't improve this year, but generally, improvement, pretty much every single year uh, to the point where this year, I think they even got higher than they were ever ranked in 2022. Yeah. Their highest ranked they ever were in the AP poll was 16 this year. He got the Oregon state Beavers all the way up to 10th. So, I mean, I'm looking at it and saying, this is, this is the kind of guy you want out there uh, to be able to see the improvement year after year. Do you guys think that one of the reasons why Jonathan Smith was looking to leave is because of the breakdown of the Pac-12 and wanting to stay relevant in Power 5 football still? Connor, you have any thoughts on that? I think that, yeah, no doubt that has a huge factor on that. Um, I mean, you, I don't know. I, I think that personally, I'm not going to get too biased here. I think that Michigan State has a lot of money to offer, and I know that sounds a little cliche, but I think it's hard to pass up that opportunity, especially with you know what he's been able to do with Oregon State. I think we're all pretty familiar that they're not quite the, the same powerhouse that uh, that Michigan State is. I do think though that he's probably just like you know I don't want to be left in the dust here. I want to go. Uh, I want to go into a conference where I know it's going to be legit. I've played against some of these guys for a couple years now, so you know I've got some experience there. So I'm not walking in blind kind of thing. So I think that is kind of a, a win-win all around for him. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Zach? Yeah, I really agree. I the Big Ten, I think, along with the SEC, are the two places you want to be for in terms of program stability uh, for money resources. And I, I think the playoff and, you know, you, you brought it up, JR, you know, Michigan state, it's not, it's not one of the big three and it's, it's probably not at the same caliber as a USC or a, uh, an Oregon or Washington at, at least right now. But I mean, eight years ago, they're in the playoff. And they're the primary foil to Ohio State at the top of the conference. And so you get the right hire, you can really do damage at Michigan State from a national perspective. I don't think you can do that consistently at an Oregon State program that honestly, like they don't have a home right now. So I, I think it's a it's it's great for Jonathan Smith. And I, I think it could be great for Michigan State. 
Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I think that, you know, he kind of took Oregon State to where their ceiling is. And I'm not trying to disparage Oregon State when I say that. It's just the reality of when you lose the Pac-12 the way you lost it and you're most likely going to just be, you know, kind of converging with the Mountain West. Um, they could probably get to 11 and 2. They could probably get to, you know, 12 and 1 or something like that at some point, but they're just going to be a Boise State back in the day, right? They're not going to be you know, what Oregon is right now at possibly 11 and one, they are 11 and one. They're not going to be recognized like that. They're not going to be top 10 in the country. Um, they're going to be top 20 and say, well, that's, you know, a good group of five school. So, uh, I think perception wise, and I think, I think you're right about the, uh, the money and where you want to be as well. So good discussion there. Uh, Dylan is in here. Want to let me know, JR, love you, but your hoodie is hideous. Yeah. Well, um, I decided to represent, because I'm so excited about the firing of Tom Allen. So let's talk about it, guys. Tom Allen fired out of Indiana, comes a day after. Listen, his buyout was set for, I don't know, $15 because that's like what they came down to. I don't know why Tom Allen would go down, but whatever. I guess, I guess he's a good guy. Uh, but his $20 million was like the third highest buyout in college football history and the highest in the Big Ten ever. So... <laughs> which I don't know if you want to be setting those records. That's pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> but Tom Allen is out of Indiana. Do we think this was a good move? Do we think this was a bad move? I mean, generally, kind of what are our thoughts here? Um, and then let us know, do you have any candidates kind of off the top of your head that you would go to first? Zach, what are your thoughts? Uh, I thought it was I, – I felt like this was coming since the beginning of the season. He – you know, he had the COVID year, which was great. And the year before that, which was really good. And then it was just nosedive. And I, I think 2021, you know, you had all this hype and you thought you were building something. And it was just like all the air got sucked out with that, with Penix's inner, uh, injury. So, and since then, they just have not been competitive, right? Um, so I, I like Tom Allen as, as, a leader. I like, I think he's a great guy. I don't think he's a, a big 10 level coach, uh, at least not a head coach. Um, in terms of replacement, I, it's hard because there's a lot of names you could like Jason candle out of Toledo is, is a hot name. You know, I've heard Justin Fry, the offensive line coach from Ohio state. Um, I, if I'm a young coach, and I'm offered the job at Indiana, I don't know if I take it. Which I hate to say that for Hoosier fans, but like I just don't think this is a good stepping stone job, especially with the infusion of programs that you're about to get. Um the guy, the honestly, the guy, and this would be controversial, is Pat Fitzgerald. And I don't know if he would do it. But I'm like, guy who can take low program to heights that no one would expect. Pat Fitzgerald did it for 17 years at Northwestern. So I don't be really controversial, but that would be my my pick if the controversy weren't anywhere near it. Uh, Purdue fan Dylan also chimed in. Obviously, I used to sign to a long time contract. Obviously, you're correct there, Dylan. Um, 
Connor, I, I have some thoughts on the whole comparison of, you know, leading the Mac and, and going to be in a bottom feeder in the Big Ten. But before we get to that, Connor, what are your thoughts on the Tom Allen firing and who do you think might be a good candidate? Yeah, I'll keep it short and sweet. I mean, I think you said it best when you opened it up. I think a lot of people look at Tom Allen, you know, they think he's a great guy, a great leader. Um, he was a, a winner for a short period of time. But yeah, like he, like Zach was saying, we just saw a complete nosedive. Um, I think we all kind of tend to look at Indiana and see a one-sided team, much like Iowa. Um, you know, there's no defense being played there, but they always seem to have a lot of talent when it comes to receivers, skill positions and all that. And I do think Tom Allen did bring that kind of juice to them. So they are going to miss out on that. But as far as someone I could see coming in, um, I've been reading not a whole lot, but uh, I think a guy like Paul Chris or like a Dan Mullen, someone like a vet, That's they, they like their old guys in Indiana. So I, I think you can't make a mistake going with a Paul Chris, someone who's already led you know a legitimate team uh, in Wisconsin and would be coming from Texas. So I think that it would be a solid stepping stone or a good place to fall and end your career at if you're Paul Chris. Yeah, no, I think, I think you make a good point there with somebody, and both of you kind of said it, with somebody who's been in the Big Ten knows how to, you know, bring a program up and, and maybe not, you know, on the same level that Pat Fitzgerald did, but Paul Chris was obviously able to get Wisconsin to certain heights, winning the Big Ten East multiple times. Um, so, you know, that, that would be good as well. I think it's interesting, the thought on Jason Candle, because Jason Candle is actually my number one guy that I think Indiana needs to look at. This is the guy that it's like, that's the home run hire. If you hire Jason Candle, if you get him away from Toledo and over to IU, I think that's exactly what you want. Yeah, Jackson's agreeing with me here. Jason Candle would be a great hire for Indiana. Indiana can be the Iowa state of the Big Ten with that hire. Um, you know, kind of, I think, I think he could be better than Matt Campbell has been, but, you know, I also have to reserve a little bit because Matt Campbell really did take a terrible Iowa State team to compete for Big 12 titles every now and then. Uh, so I do have to give respect to what he did. But um, I just I just think Jason Candle is the guy you want. If you don't get Jason Candle, I think it's a toss-up between somebody like Jake Dickert and Justin Fry, like you mentioned. The only thing with Justin Fry is he just doesn't have that head coaching experience like Connor talked about. Somebody like a Paul Christ or somebody like that who has a head coaching experience because I just don't know if you want to bring another guy in there who it's like, okay, well, you know, we have to give him some time. He has to learn, especially not in this new big 10. Uh, and that's also my hang up with like another guy I listed who Ryan Grubb from Washington, the offensive coordinator. Um, you know, he's a great, he, he's a great offensive coordinator. He's doing a great job over there at Washington, but I just don't know if he's ready for the offensive coordinator or the, the head coach position over there. And then I also put on my list, I put on Twitter, uh, Antoine Randall. That would be kind of a fun thing. The wide receiver coach it over at uh, the Lions. But there you I don't go. think that would ever happen. But how cool would that be, though? It'd get Randall L coaching at IU. That, that would be awesome. That'd be cool. Um, you guys have any, uh, Zach, you have any thoughts on some of the names I listed there or any uh, thoughts on what Connor said? No, I, I, I hadn't thought about Paul Chris. I, I thought that was a, a good, a good thought, Connor. I, I one thought that I hadn't I hadn't thought about, but as you were talking about Jason Candle, I think whoever you get, they've got to be someone who 
is willing to kind of go outside the box with the transfer portal with NIL and sell a different vision for Indiana. And it might like it has. And so I'm going back on what I said before. It might have to be a younger guy. Um, and Jason Candle might be that be that guy who can say, "Hey, we we're gonna we're gonna be a place where you can come to end your college career and make a difference." And I think if they can do that, they might have something. Um, just in in the new world of transfer portal and nil, but that's that's my only other thought there. Yeah, I mean, Jason Candle, I don't know if anybody really knows his history all that well. The dude is 65 and 33 at Toledo, which is not easy. I know they're in the MAC, but considering, you know, the offensive or the offensive, the out of conference schedule that teams like the MAC play or the teams that are in the MAC play, it's really an impressive record, especially with all that's going on there as well. Uh, and then in addition to that, two and four in his bowl games. I mean, the dude started in Toledo in 2009. And we're in 2023 and he's still coaching there. So obviously he didn't start as a head coach there. He was a head coach in 2016, but he worked his way up all the way from being the tight end coach to being the head coach at Toledo. Um, so, I mean, I, I, for me, it's less about age and it's more about just the head coaching experience. Do you have experience being a head coach? Do you know how to, you know, run a program, do those kind of things? Uh, Connor, you have any thoughts on uh, anything else that was said? No, I mean, I think you guys have nailed it on the head there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dylan letting us know Lee Corso has to be on IU's list. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm That's sure awesome. uh, I can see Lee Corso coaching with like a mascot head on or something. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Well, let's move on to the games and get into it. So our first game, obviously, this is the one we're going to have to talk about. Michigan beats Ohio State 30-24. to um, Guys, when we said this was going to be a good game, we were not lying. And nobody else was lying either when they said this was going to be a good game. This was blow for blow. Ohio State comes back, ties it 17-17. Michigan responds. Michigan, Will Johnson goes down. Zach Zinter goes down. They remain resilient. They are able to pull it off. Ohio State tries to fight back, but Kyle McCord makes a one last costly uh, decision. Uh, maybe it was hit you know, on the arm, maybe he was hip on the arm because the pressure uh, got there. I don't know for sure, but it was an interception, uh, devastation for the Buckeyes. Connor, what were some of your thoughts on this game? Listen, man, I had a lot of money tied up into this one. So, uh, <laughs> so that you're, you're, fe- you're either feeling really good or real bad right now. Uh, n- not very good. I'll tell you <laughs> that. So I was pretty confident in the Buckeyes heading into this game, but, uh, you know, I have to give Michigan the respect they deserve. Um, losing some star players like that. I mean, losing Zinter, especially in the fashion they did. Um, I didn't see the injury, thankfully, and I, I heard it was pretty gross. So They wouldn't uh, even show it on the broadcast, they said. Yeah, so, yeah. Hopefully, you know, he heals up uh, in, in due time and does well. But, uh, yeah, that, I mean, that was uh, everything we thought it was going to be. Um, it was Michigan was pretty dominant running the ball. Maybe not dominant, but felt like they were controlling the ball that way. And uh, Michigan State – or sorry, Ohio State. I don't know what I'm talking about. Ohio <laughs> State made the two errors that I think we uh, thought they had to just stay away from the whole time, you know, it was either going to be a fumble or an interception. I think we all thought it was going to come from McCord. And unfortunately, early on, seeing that from McCord, I think it set the tone 
um it did turn around so it was good to see you know henderson get involved and marvin harrison i mean you just can't leave those guys out of the offense there you got to get them the ball as much as possible it was just a little too little too late shout out to michigan though i mean they they did it they robbed me (laughs) zach what are your thoughts um i i think you you mentioned it at the top jr the the resiliency really stood out to me you know you think with Jim Harbaugh gone, you think that that would lead to more confusion. I thought Sharon Moore outcoached Ryan Day in this game. And so I thought he did a good job. It called a couple of key wrinkles with, I think it's Alex Orgy, the backup coming in and, and getting a couple of big runs to open up that run game in the second half. Um, they had the the halfback pass that really got them down close to the goal line. Zach Zinner goes out, maybe their best offensive player. Uh, and the next play, Blake Corum runs in for a touchdown. You know, Will Johnson goes out, I think, in the fourth quarter, their, their best cover corner. And they're able to get the pick at the end of the game. And so I thought, and it's not like Ohio State didn't counterpunch, right? I think, Connor, you made a really good point. Like, they're, you know, they were, they were pushing. They got the ball into the hands of their two best players and Henderson and uh, Harrison, but I, th- I think the resiliency of Michigan really stood out to me. Um, I, I think McCord, the, the first pick was inexcusable, um, on that slant route. I, I think the thing that really concerned me going into the game besides McCord's inconsistencies, it was, is, is the linebackers and in, in the run fits, which, we saw that in the second half, but also the special teams. And I think that's maybe an underrated piece of this. Michigan dominated them in the special teams. Like they pinned Ohio State back uh, once. They were Ohio State had a chance to pin them back and they didn't. Michigan hit a 52, uh, 50 yard field goal. Ohio State missed a 52 yarder. So I just, I thought. Ryan Day relied on the worst part of his team too much. And instead of going for it on fourth early, I know it was in their own side of the field, but trusting your punter to do something that he has not been good at. And then at the end of the first half, he chooses instead to go for it on fourth down. He waits and takes the timeout and then tries to kick a 52 yard. I thought those sequences, um, it, it didn't lose them the game. But I thought they were they were things that did not help them. Whereas Michigan was willing to be aggressive. And I think I think that really that didn't decide the game, but it it, it certainly didn't help. And Ryan Day, I think, could have got gotten control back, uh, even from the pick. Yeah, I think in the first half, the two biggest blunders that Ryan Day made was was obviously the you know uh, play you were just talking about there, letting Jesse uh, Murko punt that ball and trying to pin him deep there. I mean, he's just he's not been great at that all season long. He's had his spurts here and there where he's done well, but you got to go for that. You got to get that, if nothing else, just to signify you know, to Michigan and to the entire crowd at Ann Arbor, like we're here to play and we're going to dominate you. I mean, there, there are aspects of that in football that you really don't understand unless you're on the field playing. And I think that, you know, Sharon Moore decided he, he said, listen, we're going to, we're going to tell Ohio state that we're going to go for it on fourth down. 
we're going to dominate them. We're going to hand it off to Blake Corum, and Blake Corum's going to get at least a yard every single time because guess what? He's Blake Corum, and he can do that. Um, and I don't think Ryan Day had the trust in his offensive line or the trust in Travion Henderson to do that. And I think it was evident there at the end of the first half that he didn't have the trust in Kyle McCord to not throw an interception, so he wanted to kick a 50-plus yard field goal. That's on that's on the special teams coordinator for Ohio State. I know not a lot of people know who don't know not a lot of people know who the special teams coordinator for Ohio State is, but his name's Parker Fleming and he's not very good. <laughs> because yeah. he he doesn't know his kicker's range. He doesn't tell Ryan Day what his kicker can and can't do. He doesn't communicate to Ryan Day what his punter can and can't do. I mean, when you're the special teams coordinator, that's your job to go to the head coach and say, "Hey, my guy can hit from 50 plus." Hey, my punter can get it, you know, coffin corner here and make this happen. Like, like that's your job to be able to work with those guys and make sure they can make those things happen. Parker Fulman better be a really good recruiter because he's not getting it done in the special teams area. Um, and as right. far as I'm concerned, even if you don't necessarily trust Kyle McCord to the fullest extent there, you've got what, 30 seconds left on the clock, a timeout. Try to run a quick out. Try to run something and just tell Kyle McCord, if it's not there, overthrow him. Just get it out of bounds, live to throw another ball or something like that. Uh, it just it, it, it was baffling to see Ryan Day not take some of those chances because I thought, you know, we saw the Georgia Ryan Day last year really go for it with everything. And we saw almost the opposite of that. We saw Ryan Day almost get into a shell and say, I don't. <laughs> I don't want to go for it. I don't want to do that. Maybe he's, maybe that's him saying he trusted his defense, uh, but this wasn't Penn State. Michigan's offense is not Penn State's offense. You can't do that. So yeah. um, I want to get you guys' thoughts on the uh, touchdown there by Roman Wilson. We don't have to break the entire play down to the largest extent, but just tell me what are your thoughts on uh, that touchdown. Did you think it was a touchdown? Did you think it should have been overturned? Uh, Connor, I, you know what a play I'm talking about, I assume. Yeah. 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 What's your thought? What'd you think? So to me, I think I was a little bit blinded. Um, I wanted it to not be a touchdown. So I was just so convinced that, uh, you know, it was coming out early and, and so on. But whatever the call was made on the field, I think was going to end up being the call that stood. There was just not enough there to really overturn it. Um, I think it was a, a, just one of the best throws I've seen in a long time from from McCarthy leading up to it. I, he, he zipped that over two people and just dropped that in the bucket. I think he broke the plane. I, I'm not sure if uh, it was moving or not, but I mean, just shout out to Roman Wilson because that was a hell of a play, man. Yeah, I agree. JJ made one heck of a throw there, and to have the confidence in your receiver to not only run that route, get there, uh, but just to make that catch as well. Zach, what do you think? Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a big believer that if you can't 100%, like if it's not 100% indisputable, you can't overturn it. And so even though I would have loved to see it overturned, I, I, I looked at it and I'm like, I don't think you can overturn that. It's very similar to the Julian Fleming fumble and recovery at the end of the game. I'm like, I, there's just not enough there. And I, I thought the officials actually did a good job of letting it stand. Um, I, yeah, that, that there are certainly things to gripe about with the officials, uh, JT Tuimolo out holding. Um, I, I don't know if he came back with a Jersey, um, but 
that one I felt was, I, I just don't think you can overturn it. And, you know, it's it a heck of an effort by Denzel Burke, but I, I just don't think you can overturn it. The officiating was one of those games where I felt like it was really, really bad, but I didn't really feel like it was really, really bad for a certain team. Like, Agreed. Uh, I, th- I felt like there was holding on both sides. Obviously, the JT one is kind of the one we get the best look at, uh, but there were other times where I saw it. They didn't really show the replay, but I kind of saw it, and I was like, oh, that was holding on Josh Simmons, or ooh, that was holding on Josh yeah. Fryer. You know, like, uh, different things like that. Like I said, you didn't really get the, as good of an angle on it as you maybe did the JT one, but... Uh, I didn't think the officiating was great for either side. I think, you know, both sides kind of got, uh, you know, the the bad end of the stick on it. And, and I just couldn't believe myself when Robin Wilson is sitting out of bounds and they're reviewing that thing. Like, <laughs> I was like, how are you the line judge? And you see a guy sitting out of bounds catching the ball. And you're going to like, I, I, I don't know. I, how, how do you review that? How do you take time out of the game to do that? I don't know. I, I just was baffling to me. But like I said, it was bad on both sides. I think I think both sides felt the bad officiating. Um, but I guess at least it was fair. <laughs> That's <laughs> the best you can say. <laughs> so all right. right. Let's uh let's get to Connors Hawkeyes. Iowa wins 13 to 10 over Nebraska. Iowa cements a 10 and 2 record after firing their offensive coordinator, which Connor uh was begging for the last time we talked. because uh, I think it was what after that Minnesota game, the last time I had you on. Um Yeah, and, yeah, that's right. Yeah. What what were your thoughts on this game, Connor? So, you know. It was one of those games that heading into it, um, we had a lot of guys that were like, questionable. Uh, there was talk that we might be sitting guys out because you know we wanted to get healthy for for Indy. Um, I don't think that actually happened at all. I think only one person came out, and that was Logan Jones, our center. So I think everyone wanted to play. Um, unfortunately, it's Nebraska. They're a tough team. It's a rival game. So I knew going into it that it was going to be low scoring. Um, I think obviously everyone did, hence the over-under of the game being what it was. Yeah. 24 points is unreal. But uh, the under still. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But for once, it was one of those games with Iowa that I was not impressed with special teams. The last few weeks, our kicker, Drew Stevens, has been uh, getting blocked at the line of scrimmage. He's pulled a couple, so... We had to resort to a backup kicker, as I'm sure you heard a couple of times. And uh, it was his first kick at Iowa, and he, he came in clutch and won it for us. But, yeah, our special teams was not, uh, was not uh, you know, sharp. So, fortunately, we had our defense, you know, come up big and uh, have a turnover at the end of the game. And uh, shout out Ethan Herkett. And, you know, it was just one of those ones I'm happy to get a dub and move on. Just go to Indy. Uh, wipe my hands at 10 and 2. We don't get 10 wins often in Iowa. So, uh, shout out to Kirk Ferentz. Yeah, to me, I mean, it was just a wild ending there. You know, interception, Deacon Hill throws the interception. And then right after that, Chubba, per- Ch- Chubba Purdy, Chubba Purdy. Am I saying it right? Chubba Purdy? I think it's Chubba Purdy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounded wrong. But anyway, uh, he throws the interception after that. It was just a crazy ending because what has Nebraska struggled with all season long? turnovers and they get the turnover it's 10 10 they get the turnover it's like oh my gosh we have life and then Purdy throws the interception it was like oh my gosh i i i didn't i didn't really have a dog in this fight i didn't need money on this game so you know like i I was just kind of watching it for fun uh while i was at my in-laws house but i was like man i 
I felt bad for Nebraska. Not that I didn't feel happy for Iowa and Kirk Ferentz because I, I think it's a cool story this season and I've kind of been pseudo-rooting for Iowa a little bit, but I just felt bad for Nebraska. It was like one more game where you have this happen again, where the where it's the turnovers, all those things going on. Uh, Zach, what were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I I I just felt sad for Nebraska fans. <laughs> I um, because it's it's been the feeling of the past four or five years now, and I I think there's a feeling amongst some Nebraska fans like here we go again. Is Matt Rule really just Scott Frost 2.0? He's not. No, He's no. not. They they've actually won a close game or two this year. Um. But I, I, the thing that actually I came away with, b- besides the special teams, I, I appreciate what you're saying, Connor, because I was I was shocked that they could, you know, two kicks blocked, and with that, I thought in the first half, I actually thought Iowa offensively looked semi competent. I thought, you know, that Stelianos, the third, their third tight end who's come in, I thought he had a couple of really good plays. Uh, it's a bummer that I think it's Caleb Brown got hurt uh, because yep. he, it looked like he was really starting to get in into the offense. I thought Deacon Hill looked comfortable in the first half, and then it kind of all it kind of all unraveled in the second half. But it was like, okay, there are at least some things to build on that that if I'm Michigan, like I, I don't think any of us would pick Iowa to win next week, maybe, um, but. There are at least things that you can build on that, like back five or six weeks ago, I'm like, I'm not sure you can build on anything. Like it just looked so bad across the board. And I'm like, there's actually some things that I think Iowa can do offensively. Um, so I Michigan's a really good defense, but I, I I came away thinking, wow, there were there were flashes of things that I had not seen maybe five or six weeks ago. I completely agree. Yeah, I think that Iowa is growing as a team, and it's really hard to do that when you have as many uh, injuries that you know Iowa has been able to have. It's it, it, to me, the offense has almost looked its best this season after Brian Ferentz was fired. Like, <laughs> I know that's weird, uh, yeah. but like, it's almost like Brian Ferentz was just like, "All right, well, I'm just gonna throw my hands up in the air and just do all the things that I was scared to do before because it doesn't really matter now. I'm already fired, so I'm just gonna go out there and and do all these things and let my guys play loose and free." Um, you know, so it's kind of crazy the way it's worked out, but you know, hey, that's uh, that's how how it goes sometimes. So. All right, moving on. Before we do get to Wisconsin and um, in Minnesota there, Southside, he uh, comes in a little late. JR, I love the Randall L head coach call. Appreciate that. In addition to that, uh, Zach, while you were talking, I just had on Bleacher Report come up on my phone that reports former NFL head coach John Gruden has support for Indiana job after Tom Allen firing. Um, I can't imagine why John Gruden would take the Indiana job, but <laughs> that is that what guy just has so much baggage, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just look at right. what happened in, in Vegas. Yeah. It was a mess. Can they, just send, can they just send Frank Caliendo to dress like John Gruden? <laughs> yeah. That might well, be better. The thing that I was surprised, I was reading this article a little bit, trying to also pay attention to what you were saying, Zach. Um, but apparently he's still in a legal battle with the NFL over his leaked emails that led to his resi- 
resignation. Um, so I don't know. I guess I guess he is just through with the NFL. But he's also he's also working for New Orleans as a consultant right now or a consulting role. So I don't know. Um, I I would be shocked if that happens. But I, none I, of that just, sounds good. <laughs> I don't think yeah. so either. <laughs> yeah. like, could you imagine John Gruden coming into your house to recruit you? Dude, he's the too much, man. I he's I just too much. Yeah. He's a hell of a QB whisperer though. I mean, obviously he had his own show though for a while. Right. I mean, well, and that's the thing. Like, there's a ton of guys out there who are like really good football minds. But oh, sure. like being a good football mind and like being a good coach is not what gets it done in college football. You know, like look at Chip Kelly. He is one of the smartest you know, football minds there ever was like the dude has forgot more about football than I'll ever know. Um, but still like he's struggling out there in UCLA. Cause I just don't think he has the charisma. I don't think he has the drive to be that recruiter and do some of that stuff. Uh, or maybe just to even run a program. So, but still incredible football mind and can really coach guys up. So, mm-hmm. all right. Just wanted to mention that Wisconsin beats Minnesota 20. I put 24. I think it was 28 to 14. Yeah, it was 28. Sorry, I'll, I'll fix that. But uh, yeah, 28 to 14. Braylon Allen had a game, two touchdowns. What was it? 165 yards, 26 carries. Uh, really just carried Wisconsin on his back in this one. Uh, Zach, what were your thoughts on the Wisconsin-Minnesota game? Um, I, I'll keep it simple. I think we're seeing what Wisconsin could have been if Braylon Allen stayed healthy. Um, I think they were, you know, they, they pulled away in the second half at really strong running performance. Braylon Allen's a stud. I I think Minnesota, I'm not advocating that PJ Fleck be fired, but I am starting to wonder like, where does like, where does Minnesota go? Because the heart of their program like it was all like John Michael Schmitz, Mo Ibrahim. We've been talking about their losses all year and nobody's really stepped up, right? Like they've had some good running back performances with Newbin, but it hasn't been dominant. The offensive line is still messy. Um, Kaliak Manis, I feel like hasn't gotten better over the course of the season. And I, I just don't know five and seven, I think a lot of people, I think PJ Fleck is hanging on because of 2019. And like, I, I feel like if that's, if, if your best season was four years ago, I, I feel like you're probably in trouble in the next year or two. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, let's finish talking about the game. And then I want to talk about PJ Fleck at the end. Connor, do you have any thoughts on the game? <laughs> Not many. It was kind of a snoozer for me, but I can't talk because I mean I'm an Iowa fan, and yeah, listen, we all know how. When that an is, Iowa but... fan is telling you your game was a snoozer, yeah, I can't talk. That's just hypocritical. But the reality is, I think this is kind of what I expected for the game to be, and we got exactly what we thought. I think Wisconsin was the slightly more physical team here going into it and um i think that their defense was just going to be, uh, be giving calic manis a little bit more trouble than even some of the other teams in the big 10 are used to giving him so yeah it was just uh it was pretty standard for a big 10 game a rivalry game so i figured it would be you know a one score game but hey it is what it is i i think minnesota is still going bowling so shout out them yeah i think uh... five and seven 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, they're, they're still able to go to a bowl. I forget how that all works out, but I got that notification on my phone. Uh, yeah, no, I think that, you know, Minnesota, to me, what they needed to do in this game is they needed to come out with their hair on fire, really play for their coach, and really pr- play for the bowl game in this one. And it just didn't It just didn't happen. I mean, yeah, they came out, they scored, but then we're looking at, you know, punt, 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 punt after that. And then Wisconsin answers, they score at the end of the first um, and then, you know, with Minnesota, they, they kind of, you know, came back a little bit there, but it was a three and out and then three and out and then they, you know, another score. But at the end of the day, uh, Wisconsin tied it up and then it was just kind of, you know, over from there, Wisconsin took over the game and really just kind of put Minnesota down and there was nothing else they could do about it. So, uh, you know, hats off to Wisconsin. I hope, uh, I hope it gets better for Minnesota. Cause I don't think this is where they, where they want to be. Uh, Zach, you bring up PJ Fleck. Is it time to move on from him? Uh, so I'm just going to give you his year after year record. 2017 was the last time that they had a losing record, not including 2020. And that was PJ Fleck's f- first year. They were five and seven, 2018, seven and six, 2019, as you referenced 11 and two really good year for the golden Gophers. Uh, 2020, three and four, uh, 2021, nine and four, 2022, Nine and four, they finished second in the West both those years, won their bowl games, guaranteed rates bowl, pinstripe bowl. Uh, PJ Fleck has never lost a bowl game at Minnesota, by the way, four and oh in bowl games. And then this game, this year, five and seven, fourth in the West. I mean, <clears throat> are we really expecting anything more from the Minnesota coach than to, you know, hover around 10 wins every now and then? And then, you know, I mean, really be around 10 wins more often than you have a losing season. Is that too big of expectations? I don't know. You guys tell me. I I don't know if it's that. And I think where I'm concerned is you had mentioned, are they playing like, are they actually playing for their coach? And are they playing with their hair on fire? And that's what concerns me is like the past few weeks, they they've looked dead. And I, 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 I'm not advocating that he's fired yet, but Mm -hmm. the thing that has constantly concerned me is he misses the layups. And I think that real, so what I mean is, you know, he loses to Bowling Green when he gives Ohio state a great game or he upsets Penn state or he like, and it's, it's, it's actually very similar to Mike Loxley probably at Maryland. Like, I, I feel like, he he can challenge the big the big guys sometimes, but then he has these shockingly mind numbing losses that you're like, what are you what are you doing? And I I don't know what to do with that because like Minnesota's been worse. You know, Tim Brewster, those years were awful. Um but I I don't know. I I just I, I feel very sensitive to like when coaches start their plateau and dow- downward descent. And I feel that right now. Like, I just don't feel like he's trending up. I feel like he's, I feel like the boat's taken on water right now. Hard to row the boat when the boat's taken on water. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Connor, you're our Big Ten West liver. You know what it's like over there. What are your thoughts? <laughs> Yeah, man, I, I'm telling you, if you can't find a way to win the West, and obviously now it's it's done in a way with, um, 
that is a little bit problematic in my eyes. I mean, obviously, we're all familiar with the the lack of talent over on the West. Um, we'll call it. And I don't know, man. I just I think that uh, you know you got to win those rivalry games. To be fair, he did beat Kirk Ferentz this year, but that was for the first time in I think like six or seven years. I mean, that's that's not yeah, impressive. It's the seventh I don't year, so one in what six? Yeah, one in six. That's not very great. I mean. I don't think he's beaten Wisconsin all that many times. I think his first time was relatively recently. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you guys, it's kind of like how Ohio State fans feel about like Ryan Day. I'd imagine that Minnesota fans feel about, you know, P.J. Fleck. You got to start winning those rivalry games, obviously. You know, I think they're going to lose a couple given how much talent is in the Big Ten. But, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't be calling for heads yet, but it is certainly getting to that point. I think that's a good a good point you make there about him just being on a plateau. I, I do see that with him here, and I think that uh, there is a slight call for worry. I have a friend who used to be um, a GA in the Big Ten, and he was talking to another guy who used to work over at, at Minnesota a couple years ago, and he was telling me, that his friend, kind of his biggest concern with P.J. Fleck since he got to know him is like, this guy is charismatic, this guy is a really big motivator, but eventually that stuff wears off, you know? Like, that stuff doesn't last forever. You kind of have to find new ways to motivate people, and luckily for P.J. Fleck, you cycle through players every four years, right? Or every five years sometimes. Uh, So you can kind of get away with kind of doing the same motivational stuff. Um, And... I have to wonder, maybe in this new age of college football where we have guys who are in their fifth, sixth, seventh year, I don't know how many guys like that Minnesota has, but is some of that motivational row the boat stuff, some of that stuff, like, is that wearing off on some of those guys? Is that why we're seeing maybe not the most, you know, inspired Minnesota team that we've ever seen? Um, I meant to look up those numbers to figure out how many, like, seniors and super seniors and stuff like that they have, but that could be my only guess because... I feel like PJ Fleck is a big time motivator guy, and it just seems unusual that he would start his very first season there five and seven, you know, seven years ago, and then we find ourselves after two nine and four seasons right back to five and seven. You know, seems seems weird to me, but you know. All right, let's move on to Northwestern and Illinois. Northwestern wins this one, forty five to forty three. Uh, really good game, actually. This was a kind of an underrated game. Um, Northwestern still playing hard for David Braun. Northwestern turned it over a couple times, but John Paddock did the same thing with Illinois. Uh, they capitalized. They did what they had to do, and at the end of the day, Northwestern came out on top. Uh, Connor, what were your thoughts with this game? Um, unlike the Wisconsin. Uh, Minnesota game. I mean, this was the opposite of what I was expecting. I did not expect to see an 88 point, you know, game here. It was one of the more electric games I saw this weekend. Um, you know, I was, I'm still just beyond impressed with what Northwestern's been able to do. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that we'll see them go hard in the transfer por- transfer portal this year, um, and I, I think they deserve it They're, with what what they had to deal with. You know, losing Pat, David Braun, obviously right up there for Coach of the Year candidate. Um, you know. And able to pull this one off, I, I got to give it to him. I, I'm a big Northwestern fan this year, and so uh, I think this was a good game to watch. Oh yeah, man! I I thought Illinois was going to tie it up there. I mean, that what I'm looking that 80 yard touchdown, you know, there with what 19 se- or uh, 55 seconds left? Oh, not 19, 55 seconds left. Like that's huge to get oh, that 80 yard. Uh, th- 
just absolutely crazy. And they get out there, they try to get the two-point conversion fail. I mean, that is, that just has to be one of the most demoralizing moments on the football field you ever experience when you have, like, one of the biggest plays ever, you know, to bring you back. You're right there. All you need is a two-point conversion, and you don't get it. Like, yeah. I just I, – especially for John Paddock. Like, this guy has been huge time and time again for Illinois this season. And then it comes down to this one two-point conversion. He doesn't get it. Uh, just heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Zach, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's fun. I think Northwestern might be the best, one of the best stories, if not the best story in the Big Ten this year with David Braun and all that he's gotten them through. They're they're fun to watch. And this game, I, I really agree with what you guys are saying. It was a fun, it was a fun game, but both teams fought too like it felt like the anti minnesota like illinois really fought back and and almost tied it up and and yeah i just give a lot of credit i know illinois finished five and seven i i didn't have a lot of high expectations for illinois coming into the season because of all the talent they lost on the back end of their defense and losing chase brown and and tommy devito who's apparently doing at least okay in the NFL. He's on um, my fantasy football team. He's doing okay. Which, yeah. <laughs> weird things are weird. Um, but When I get a Big Ten West quarterback on my fantasy football team, you know uh, the fantasy football <laughs> season's not going well. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Sorry. But, no, it's good. But, I like, seriously, I think that adds to the point, though, like, Illinois was really good last year. And I think a lot of people thought there'd be an extension of that. I don't think people realized how much they lost. And I, I don't think Bielema had the depth because I don't think Illinois has been a great program over the past several years. And so I think to, to see them on the cusp of being 500, I know a lot of Illini fans are probably upset. I, I just think patience like I think Bielema is still trying to get his guys build his program. He's already given you a, a very, a very good season a year ago. And I think he'll continue to develop, continue to build depth, continue to stack good seasons. Um, but really credit to Northwestern. They have been above and beyond what anybody expected. And I think Ben Bryant came back from injury. He threw two picks, but he was pretty good in this game otherwise. Yeah, no, Ben Bryant was good, and I think John Paddock was good uh, too for the most part. Um, Southside OC is letting us know that the Java men are not happy with the Illini's performance. Um, I don't know where you're at right now if you're if you're an Illinois fan. I know I've talked with Sonny from over at the Illini cast, and, it, you know, Sonny, his big thing was, you know, is Brett Bielema increasing the floor of Illinois? I think he is. Um, I, I think it would be really, really nice if the floor of Illinois is like a bowl game. You know, that would be awesome if, you know, 500 is kind of your your floor every single year uh, and you pop up for those those ceilings where, where you contend for the Big Ten, stuff like that every now and then. Um, but, I mean, if we're looking at it and we're being honest, you know, Brett Bielema, 5-7 and seven his first year here, eight and five last year. I know it was kind of a magical season for Illinois in some ways, but you know, you didn't win the West. Um, you know, I'm not trying to put them down or anything like that. It was a good season. And then five and seven this year, you know, you, you're going to have to start having some conversations about Brett Bielema and are we getting the Wisconsin version of Brett Bielema or are we getting the Arkansas version 
of Brett mm-hmm. Bielema here. Um, because at the end of the day, I think that, you know, Illinois, I'm not going to say they're a bad program by any means. I don't think they're a bad program, but, you know, they're, they're definitely not a traditional power in the modern day of college football of the Big Ten. Um, and so I guess it just comes back to what are your what are your expectations at Illinois? Um, and, and where do you want your head coach to be? If I were an Illinois fan, I wouldn't be happy. My expectations would be higher, personally. Um, I'd be saying we need to at least get a bowl game every single year. Um, I'm not saying fire the guy. I'm kind of like you, Zach, where you were talking about P.J. Fleck. I don't think you fire him. But I do, I do think you look at him and you say five and seven, you know, it happened. That's fine. But it can't happen again. Am I off base there? What do you guys think? No, I, I think Brett Bielema, I mean, he's proven himself to this point. Upside about that. So. But I think he's proven, I mean, I guess he's he's shown he can deal with the Big Ten at least. Maybe the SEC is a little out of his uh, out of his range there. But, I mean, you see what he can do with turning guys into Devin Witherspoon into top five picks. I mean, that guy's been balling out. Um, I mean, also, I mean, Tommy DeVito, I think he was a transfer in, and maybe I'm wrong there, but, I mean, He's able to take these guys, develop them into something that, that we didn't quite see before. So I wouldn't quite give up on them yet. But I think that, uh, you know, it is, you know, you're, you're right. I do want a bowl game every year. So, yeah. What do you think, Zach? Yeah, I was trying to look up um, their record year in, year out for the past several years. And, and you look at their, you know, the past 10 years from 2013 there's only two seasons before Bielema got there that was six wins or more. And he's over the past three seasons, he has 18 wins. That's, I think it's more than any, any coach that's been at Illinois, maybe since Ron Zook. Um, so I, this is, I, I totally agree that the the floor I would want would be a bowl game. I just I don't think that's what Illinois has been, and I think to get there, you, you're. I, I think maybe Illinois, we're 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 looking at Illinois and what it could be, and and we're saying, oh, Illinois is like uh, a Minnesota. I, I might contend that Illinois actually is more has been more like a Northwestern or or dare I say a Rutgers, but I think with a better positioning and I think yeah. they're getting up there. I think Bielema really helps them. I, I just looking at their record. I, you guys might disagree with me there, but just looking at the past ten years, not at all. Yeah, I think like the public perception of Illinois has been a little bit better than like the public's perception of Northwestern and Rutgers. Like those are normally looked upon, but like pretty, pretty, you know, bottom feeders like Indiana, Northwestern Rutgers. Uh, but Northwestern, obviously, Pat Fitzgerald had them poking up every now and then. And we have Northwestern seven and five this year with, you know, an interim head coach who's now being the, <laughs> the head coach overall. Um, I, I don't know if I've ever thought of Illinois on the same level of Rutgers. I, you know, I wouldn't say they were like super all that much higher than Rutgers, um, but I don't know if I'd put them all the way down there. Um, but I'd have, to, I'd have to look at the wins and losses. I, I haven't looked at that lately for them. So, so yeah, but good discussion. All right, let's move on to 
Maryland beats Rutgers. Speaking of Rutgers, 42-24, to 24, uh, Talia Tangavailoa. I know there's some controversy with Purdue fans because of Drew Brees and all that stuff, but he is now the career passing leader in Big Ten history with uh, yards. So that's that's kind of a cool thing and a, and a testament to, to his career. Um, you know, say whatever you want about Talia, but he's going to be remembered as, you know, just a, a really good, really long-tenured Big Ten quarterback who who was able to, you know, just about every year make some really cool stuff happen and, and throw the ball well. Uh, that's even including the 2020 year in his career. So really, really interesting. Zach, what do you think about this game? Uh, man, good for Maryland to finish the season off right. I, I was really worried that they would kind of go into the tank, uh, especially after that that four-game losing streak. Um, and so I, I was proud of Talia for really pulling them, pulling them out and, and attacking this Rutgers defense. I, I think Rutgers, they fought hard. Manangai, I think got to 1100 yards, uh, first thousand yard back and Rutgers, uh, for Rutgers since 2012. Um, I just think Rutgers was backloaded and, you know, they had Ohio state, Iowa, Penn state, and then Maryland, and like Maryland's not has not been great this year, but they're certainly more talented than some of the other teams they played. I I, I know six and six finishing with a four game losing streak is is not how anybody wants to finish, but I, I I was proud of how Rutgers they fought, and you know they came they came back twenty they were down twenty eight to three and they could have folded and they didn't so. I think hats off to Maryland for finishing off the right way. And I think really hats off to, to Rutgers for fighting and getting to six and six with honestly a ridiculously hard schedule. Yeah, no, I think you're you're on point there. They started off with, uh, you know, I wouldn't say an easy schedule, but, you know, looking back on it, Northwestern, that's a 7-5 team. You know, they finished with a better record than Rutgers was. Um, so, you know, that was a good win. To start the year, you know, Wagner, yeah, that's a that's an easy win. But um who was the other Virginia Tech. out of conference? Yeah, Virginia Tech, you know, I mean, obviously that's not a great ACC team, but still, like I, I wouldn't be confident in Rutgers beating Virginia Tech year in and year out. So they got that done. I remember early on in the season when we were looking at their I think they were like had five wins at the time. We were looking at their record and we were like, they got to get, they have got to get six wins before these last three games of the season, because it's just, it's too brutal to end the year uh, with those, with those games. So, and props to them. They were able to make it happen. Connor, what were your thoughts on the Maryland and Rutgers game? See, unfortunately I actually was not able to watch this one, but when I see the score turn out, I'm not particularly surprised. Um, it seemed like Maryland did need a, a little bit of a blowout game here. Um, they have such an explosive offense, um, obviously with Talia trying to, I think, go get that record too. I think they were playing with a little bit more of a chip on their shoulder. They wanted to go, you know, break that a little bit extra for him too, but <sighs> I don't know. I, I do like Rutgers a lot. I was a big fan of them. They're kind of like Northwestern to me this year. I, I just I had a hard time not rooting for them. Uh, they got screwed with their schedule, like you guys were saying. I don't want to be a broken record, but yeah, they just they they looked like they kind of plateaued as well. Like they they had they showed glimpses of being really really solid. Like they played Ohio State for a first half there, really tough. Um, but from that moment on, it kind of just fell off for them. So at least they made a bowl. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they made a bowl, and that's awesome for Greg Schiano. If you ask me, he's he's in the top four at the very least of the coach of the year conversation. I think it's pretty clearly David Braun and Kirk Ferentz probably would have won it if it wasn't for the interim situation of David Braun and that stuff, but uh, what he was able to do this year. So, uh, yeah, no, I agree with what you're saying, Connor. I was looking because uh, I thought I remember, but, yeah, Maryland, they scored on their first four possessions, seven plays, 75 yards, two plays, 55 yards, five plays, 75 yards, one play, 44 yards. I mean, this is just like what you fear in playing Maryland, like their big playability. They can start a game hot and just really bury you early. I mean, you know, in the first, almost almost the first quarter, they were able to put up 28 points on Rutgers. And Rutgers is not a team who's going to come back from that very easily. So, you know, like you said, Zach, you know, props to them. They were able to come back from 28 to three and, and make it almost a 10 point game. It was an 11 point game at one point and they were able to answer. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what Maryland is. And, and they had their offense running exactly the way they wanted it to run this time. So uh, we got the Ohio pod guys. What's up guys. Just finished our therapy session over on the Ohio podcast. Uh, you guys aren't going to want to listen to the, Ohio Michigan segment because we probably gave uh Michigan too much props for your liking, but uh go back and listen to it if you want to continue continue your therapy, I guess. <laughs> uh well let's talk about this for a minute for Ohio guys since they're here. Should Ohio State fans be upset about the state of the program? Not so much about Ryan Day, but should they just really fast because I don't want to spend too much time on it, but should they be upset about the state of the program? Zach, what do you think? state of the program. No, I I think, I think there are things that Ryan day needs to change. Yeah. And I I think if he doesn't do them, one of them, Parker Fleming needs to get fired, which I've heard that there, there are whispers that that's going to happen at the very least demoted. Yes. Um, I, I'll say this. I, besides the obvious of accord, um, like he either needs to improve or, there needs to be a change there. I I think Ryan Day needs to he needs to give give out play calling to somebody else because I think that's that's keeping him from being able to actually manage the game. Yeah. No, I think it's a good call. Connor, you have any thoughts? Uh, there's no chance Ohio State has to be worried. Um, yeah, Ohio State does need to be Michigan. I know that that's the uh, that's what everyone's upset about, and it has been three years in a row. But they were cheating for two of those years, and realistically, man, I think their recruiting class is one of the best yet again. I mean, they have the number one recruit overall. I know that there's some whispers that he might not be going to Ohio State anymore, but as of right now, man, I, I wouldn't be too worried. McCord is uh, a little dicey there, but. Who, who knows how we'll see how he'll be after a year of experience, you know? Yeah. All I hear is from the Ohio State fans is Aaron Nolan is coming in. The freshman sensation <laughs> is going to come in. He's going to uh, be a stud. He is. All, all I'll say on that is, you know, we think backup quarterbacks are sexy. Uh, yeah, it's the same thing with recruits. You know, you think they're going to be really, really good. Uh, and they get in there and they're a freshman. And it's like, oh, yeah, we got, we forgot this guy's a freshman. <laughs> Not that they're bad, but, you know, freshmen are freshmen. You know, it is what it is. So, all right. Uh, Ohio, Connor, mark this down. Go Iowa. Cheers. I appreciate <laughs> you, man. 
at the Ohio guys rooting for Iowa. Wouldn't expect anything else. All right, let's talk about Purdue and IU. Dylan's still here. Dylan is loving this conversation. Purdue wins 35-31 to 31 over IU. Uh, man, Jalen Lucas had a, an amazing, uh, what was it, kick return. I don't think it was a punt return. An amazing kick return there. Uh, I really felt like they had some juice going. But, you know, Purdue, they just kind of seemed like the more consistent team. Hudson Card didn't throw an interception. Um, only one fumble, and it wasn't even lost in this game. So that's a huge improvement for Purdue. Brendan Storsby, who is in the transfer portal now, he uh, threw three interceptions, which was a, a huge blunder for him and for for IU. Uh, Connor, what were some of your thoughts on this game? Listen, I'm a I'm kind of one of those guys. I, I keep saying this about everyone, but I, I love Purdue. I, I I shouldn't after what they've done to us a couple years ago um, with David Bell, but I'm a big Purdue fan, and I think that the way they play, I think they're gonna they're heading the right direction. I know their record doesn't particularly show it. But they've got guys like Tiananmen, Tiananmen, I don't even know how you say his name. That guy is going to be a freak for a couple of years. And it just felt like this game was the nail in the coffin for Tom Allen. But I, I still am just so impressed with what I saw with Indiana to end the year. I thought they were going to be uh, what Northwestern, you know, I thought they were just going to be the two bottom feeders, maybe win a combined three or four games max. But they, they really exceeded my expectations. So I, I'm, I'm happy to see that, you know, IU kept that one close, especially with an in-state rivalry. Oh, and I said it from the beginning, IU has talent. You know, I, they're not like a completely talentless team. Um, you, you you see that in the Big Ten sometimes where it's just like, you know, yeah, they have some big players, but they really don't have any talent. That's not IU. IU has talent. They just can't put it all together consistently enough throughout the game. And, and I think a lot of that comes down to coaching, which is unfortunately why I think Tom Allen needed to go. And I think it was the right decision to happen. Um, Zach, your thoughts on this game? Yeah, not not much. I I think Hudson Card played like we thought he could. Um, I think you know when he's on, he's he's a very talented passer, and they have good receivers. Um, I I'm excited to see where Ryan Walters goes from here. I think that Connor, you were saying like you like where they're where Purdue's heading. I do too. I I knew this would be a tough year just with. Jeff Brom leaving and a lot of the players leaving with him. I feel like Ryan Walters has gotten, you know, he's gotten a couple of signature wins. They also beat Virginia tech, which by, by the way, Virginia tech six and six. So I know that's not great, but it's like, it's a 500 P five win. Um, they beat Illinois. Um, and they get the, they, they get the old Oak and buck bucket. You know, I think that was a, the other thing about this, Purdue had a very sneaky, difficult non-conference schedule with Fresno State and Syracuse. Syracuse had had been playing better in the earlier part of the season. If they replace those games with a couple of MAC bottom feeders, you're talking about a bowl team. So I I think, and I'm going a little off script here. I'll just I'll just end this. I think the way that they ended the season even with all the injuries and all the other stuff that was going on really good job by Ryan Walters. And I, th- I think Purdue's really headed in the right direction. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the out of conference. I mean, they, they played a pretty tough out of conference uh, Fresno state. Who's one of the better group of five teams out there. Like you said, Virginia tech, they're, they're still a six and six team. This isn't, 
you know, a two and ten Virginia Tech team or anything like that. Uh, and then Syracuse. I mean, that's your out of conference. That's two power five teams. Syracuse is also six and six. So I'm not trying to say that this is a powerhouse out of conference or anything like that, but you know, brand new coaching staff, you know, first year head coach, new quarterback, all these things. Um, they didn't let it demoralize them. They had a huge offensive performance against Illinois. They gave it to to Iowa and had a close game, a one-score game, which it seems like Iowa has that with everybody, so maybe it's not the biggest accomplishment in the world. But still, you know, like, hey, you scored 14 points on Iowa. Not not too many teams can say they did that. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, it, I don't, it's obviously frustrating, the win total, but I think if you are realistically looking at this Purdue team, you're saying Ryan Walters has a future. He has a good coaching staff. He has the guys in place. Uh, the injuries were obviously hard, but when you end the season two and one, uh, two home wins, especially after losing your first, what was it, three home games, um, you know, I I think there's I think there's hope there for Boilermaker fans, and, and I don't think it's all it's all wrong. So, any final thoughts on Purdue and Iowa, guys? No, all right, let's all right. get it get to our last one, Penn State. Beats Michigan State. I don't know how many thoughts we have on this one, but uh, 42 to nothing. Drew Aller unleashed his arm in this one through a couple more deep balls than maybe we were used to seeing. It was almost like Mike Yersich just didn't want him to throw him all year. And uh, Drew Aller said, you know, hey, I'm going to start throwing him. He averaged 11.2 yards per pass in this one, so... That's better for him. Katron Allen, Nick Singleton, they ran. I mean, it just it looked like the offensive, you know, performance that they needed all se- all season just came one game too late. Uh, and you saw a Michigan State team that I mean, they didn't look like they wanted to be there. They didn't look like they had the health to be there. They didn't look like they had enough players to be there. Uh, just a tough tough game for Michigan State. But like we talked about earlier, there's hope with Jonathan Smith. So uh, Zach, what were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, interestingly enough, I thought the first half, there were moments, like first quarter in particular, there were moments where I was like, Michigan State, like there, there's some good players here. And like, which makes sense because they, they won two of the past three games before this game. Yeah. And I thought Penn State struggled a bit in the first half. And then I think the second half, the talent gap really blossomed and they were able to take, they were able to take advantage, I think, of of the the attrition of Michigan State, which allowed Aller to to throw the deep ball. They got Bo Prabula involved. I, I I have a lot of questions about Penn State moving forward, um, but I'll, I'll just say that I, like Penn State did what they did, what they do to overmatch teams. Like they they grind they grinded on them, they grinded on them, and then you know the. They they go over the top and they're able to to score a bunch of points, but I I still think there's lingering issues with this offense, and I, I think the score the the score is not indicative. I think of Penn State figuring things out. Yeah, no, I think there was a few more deep balls and stuff like that, which was nice to see. But you're right; it wasn't like it was you know from start to finish. This offense is better. Uh, I mean, this has kind of been Michigan State's game script all year. You know, like they have a they have a pretty good defense. They have some good players uh, that can make plays. So they held Penn State to a field goal on the first possession, and then Kaden Hauser gets out there and he throws an interception on the very first drive. Um, you know, that's like that's just really really hard to. Uh, 
to to come back from as a defense. Like you hold this offense of this team that's supposed to be better than you, and then they hold them to another field goal, and Penn State misses it. So like, I mean, this Michigan State defense they they were doing what they were supposed to do. The Michigan State offense just wasn't there to make it happen. So Connor, what were some of your thoughts? Yeah, man, for me, it just felt like one of those games where, I mean, Michigan State just did not care. They didn't want to be there, and Penn State just knew that and took full advantage of it. I remember seeing a couple clips of James Franklin saying, like, yeah, we are not the team that's going to air it out on you. We don't want to take like, the deep shot on you. And, you know, I, it's funny just to see him uh, say, like, all right, screw it, we'll do that today. Uh, yeah. They don't want to be here. Let's just make this game quick. And it just felt that way from the get-go. Um, now, obviously, like, like you guys are saying, they did struggle a little bit at first. But all things aside, it just felt like that was going to be a one-sided game the whole way. And surely enough, it was. Mm-hmm. Well, and for me, you make a really good point there about James Franklin. Because for me, in modern-day college football, you can't be the offense that has to drive the ball 10 plays every single drive to win games. Like... Even we want to talk about how, you know, Ohio State and Michigan was a pretty close game with, with, you know, big drives and stuff like that. Like they still had their chunk plays and you just don't see those from Penn State as much as you would like to, to really make that offense go. I mean, when you're, you know, work, working off a 10, 12 play drive sometimes to, to put points on the board, like that just, that, that's a lot of mistake free football you have to play to get all the way down the field. And, and to score, and I really feel like James Franklin is going to have to figure that out next year. He's going to have to bring in a better offensive coordinator who is going to be willing to make those big chunk plays and, and make that happen for his team because it's a whole lot easier to get 40 yards on one pass than it is to get 40 yards on, you know, six plays. So, uh, Zach, do you have any thoughts about that? No, I think you're right. I, I've thought that this is the thought I had before. I don't know if James Franklin knows how to use a big armed pocket passer. Yeah. Like his best offenses have always been with a trace McSorley. I think even moments with uh, Sean Clifford, when he, he runs read option, right. Christian Hackenberg, when he was there, I thought he regressed under him versus Bill O'Brien. And I, I just like, I think Drew Eiler has the talent, but I, I just don't think and part of the receivers aren't aren't up to the Penn state standard either, but I, I, I have yet to see a pocket passer thrive under Franklin. Yeah, no, you make a great point. I mean, that's what, that's what Franklin wants to do. He wants to get a guy in there who can, you know, do it both with his arm and his legs and guys like Trace McSorley and uh, Sean Clifford. Those were his guys, even though they might not have been the most talented quarterbacks in the world. Those were his guys to make that happen. So, all right, guys, that's all I got. Um, I forgot to say it at the beginning of the show, but uh, we are brought to you by Big Banter Sports, bigbantersports.com. You can check uh, our podcast out there. You can also check out Inside the Nest over at bigbantersports.com. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Uh, please do like and subscribe. We appreciate it. We'll get out of here because we've gone much longer than I planned for already. But uh, appreciate Zach and Connor both being here. Have a great night, everyone. Cheers. Thank you.